This is the mop-up for November 10th, 2023. I am David Feldman, and this portion of The David Feldman Show is brought to you by the Michigan Turkey Militia, who reminds you, make it a vegan Thanksgiving. This year, we're asking you nicely. (laughs) I'm David Feldman. Please like this show, despite what I just did. Share it and subscribe to my channel as well as my newsletter. I started late this morning. My stomach is a little... It's a little wonky this morning. Last night for dinner, I ate some cabbage that disagreed with me. Here, uh, take a look. It it was a very disagreeable cabbage, and it it really kept me up all night. We were arguing about The Godfather. He insisted The Godfather 2 was better than 1, but I said there would be no 2 without 1. Then he made a crack about my daughter's table manners, Look at him. I pulled him off the streets of New York. He never thanks me. I put him back in the crisper. I have no idea what to do with this insufferable prick and the language on this guy. I was hoping to serve him for Thanksgiving. I don't know what to do with him. In yet another setback for the religious right here in America, Pope Francis announced the Catholic Church will welcome transgender people to be baptized and become godparents and grandparents. While the Pope has yet to recognize same-sex marriage, he has said that the LGBTQ community must be welcomed into the family. The Pope this year has criticized Republican Catholics in the United States, accusing them of being reactionary. He really did. He went after Republican Catholics. Pope Francis said Republican Catholics are mistaken when they look backwards to discover the roots of Catholicism. He said the roots of the Catholic Church can only be found by looking forward and embracing change. The Pope has spoken out consistently against capitalism and the greed that has permeated the West. He has also said climate change is man-made. It's nice when a religious leader actually reads the New Testament, isn't it? I like this pope. Well, one of America's heroes has passed away, the commander of Apollo 8, the first spacecraft to orbit the moon. The commander of Apollo 8, Frank Borman, is dead at 95. Now, while Apollo 11's Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are remembered as the first humans to walk on the moon, we often forget that Frank Borman, along with James Lovell and Bill Anders, were the first humans ever to fly to the moon. And while they didn't touch down, they did orbit the moon, which at the time, this was 1968, was considered one of the greatest feats of mankind, or possibly the greatest feat of mankind. Borman and the crew of Apollo 8 are best remembered for reading the first 10 verses from the book of Genesis while on their way back home on Christmas Eve, 1968. At the time, it was the most watched television program in history. Bill Anders took this iconic photo of the Earth rising over the moon's horizon. He caught this while they were circling the moon. This is Apollo 8's. Bill Anders, uh, and this photo, 
uh, was considered mind-altering. For the first time in recorded history, humans were able to see the Earth in a completely different context. In a sea of nothingness, we were billions of people and animals and plants surviving in our own on our own blue marble of a spaceship hurtling through space and time. And this picture alone forced many, many baby boomers to commit to protecting our planet from the poisons of progress. And then Reagan was elected president, I think 12 years later. And 55 years later, after this picture was taken, Scientists say unless we get completely off fossil fuels in the next six years, our spaceship Earth will be uninhabitable. Noam Chomsky, back in 1920, said, Because the Republicans are so beholden to the oil companies and make a mockery of climate change, they, the Republicans, are a bigger threat to our planet than the Nazis ever were. The Republicans held their third debate Wednesday night, and the ratings are in, and they're not good. Of all three Republican debates, NBC's was the lowest rated. The next debate is in little under a month. It will be held in Alabama, and it is the last debate before the Iowa caucuses. Donald Trump will not be participating in this debate either, which means he will not have stood on the debate stage challenged by any of these candidates. And uh, he's boycotting these debates. It's working for him. It's working for him. And if you paid attention to his testimony Monday, he can't debate anybody. You know, people keep thinking he's going to kick Biden's ass when they debate. No, he's completely unhinged. It's this strategy is working for him now, not debating. But if he stood on a debate stage, he has no impulse control anymore. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina is sinking in the polls and is low on cash because this is true. Wealthy Republican donors told him they wanted to see his girlfriend. This is absolutely true. Republican donors told Tim Scott that they feel very uncomfortable giving to an unmarried Christian in his mid-50s. Scott insisted he has a new girlfriend. And on Wednesday, she joined him briefly on the debate stage to collect her check. (laughs) Here she is. Here she is. Very lovely couple. And South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, after the debate, asked Tim if there was any chance he could borrow her. The Washington Post reports that Donald Trump and his closest friends are drawing up plans to leverage the Justice Department and the FBI after he's elected in order to go after every employee of his old administration who spoke out against him after they left his White House. I think you're a little late, Donald. By 2025, all of them will already be in prison. And so will you. You know, as Trump continues to surge in the polls, Leavenworth has already begun construction on an oval cell. An oval cell. But luckily for Donald, Melania already calls sex with him conjugal visits. Do people still remember what conjugal visits are? 
I don't know. In an interview on Thursday, Trump was asked if he has any plans to get even with the Biden administration for weaponizing the government against him. Trump said, quote, yeah, if they do this and they've already done it, but if they follow through on this, yeah, it could certainly happen in reverse. He said it could certainly happen. What they've done is they've released the genie out of the box. So he's planning to weaponize his Justice Department, which he tried to do, right? And the IRS. Luckily, he wasn't able to weaponize the IRS or get Sidney Powell to be special counsel and prosecute Democrats for election fraud. The system, in many ways, held. During his Wednesday night rally in Florida, Trump said he considered his troubles with the Justice Department a badge of honor. He told the crowd he was being indicted for them. I'm being indicted for you, for your crimes. Like Jesus died for your sins. Donald was indicted for your crimes. Basically, he's throwing his crowd under the bus. He's telling the FBI, why are you arresting me? Lock these people up. Why should I be indicted for their crimes? They're, they're the criminals. He's basically a rat. He's saying to the FBI, I'm being indicted for them. These are the guilty ones. Anyway, then he said, this is true, he said his parents would be proud of him. He said, because he was indicted. He said, quote, they indicted me. Can you believe my father and mother are looking down? Son, how did this happen? We're so proud of you, son. How did that happen? Okay, what's wrong with that sentence? His parents are looking down? The only way Fred and Mary Trump are looking down is if their mummified heads have been mounted above the fireplace at Mar-a-Lago. The closest Fred and Mary Trump, the Sonny and Cher of white supremacy, the closest they ever made it to heaven was sneaking up there to steal the pearly gates. Sixteen members of Congress from both sides of the aisle, including AOC and Marjorie Taylor Greene, signed a letter urging President Biden to stop Julian Assange's extradition to the United States. Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, is being held in a British prison as our Justice Department tries to bring him to America and try him for violating the Espionage Act. Maybe they can do a double bill down in Miami with Donald Trump. He's uh, being tried for violating the Espionage Act. The thing is, Trump deserves to be tried for violating the Espionage Act. Julian Assange does not. He should not be brought to America. He's not an American citizen. He didn't commit these crimes in America. And last year, a British judge postponed the extradition, saying America's prison system is so rotten, there's a distinct possibility Assange would end up dead in his cell. Well, that's not a nice thing to say about America's criminal justice system. The truth? Why would you say the truth about America's criminal justice system? Why do you have to go and tell the truth about our prisons? Assange released several highly classified documents and videos of American soldiers committing war crimes. And yet, not a single one of them, not a single soldier, has been charged. Back in the 70s, they used to say it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. 
Now we say it's not the crime, it's revealing the cover-up. That's Julian Assange's crime, reporting one. If you see something, say something as long as you say I saw nothing. Well, at least it's good to see Marjorie Taylor Greene signing that letter. She did. She, she, she deserves credit. She signed that letter. Meanwhile, the Daily Beast, and I am not making this up, okay? The Daily Beast reports that several Republicans in the House complain that Marjorie Taylor Greene can't stop calling Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert a whore. I'm not making this up. It's not my language. I, I wouldn't call Lauren Boebert a whore. I would call her. No, um, uh, this is true. Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is like countless Republicans have told the Daily Beast this. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is dropping the Lauren Boebert is a whore phrase into every conversation she has with anybody obsessively. Like by December, it's going to be Mary Lauren Boebert is a whore Christmas. It all started. I'm not making this up. You just go read it at the Daily Beast. Well, the stuff about Merry Christmas. But it all started back in January when Marjorie supported Kevin McCarthy for speaker. Do you remember this? At the time, Marjorie Taylor Greene was a member of the far-right Freedom Caucus, which adamantly opposed Kevin McCarthy's nomination for speaker. Now, McCarthy knew that Marjorie had clout with Donald Trump because she had become his opening act during her first term in Congress because Nancy Pelosi threw Marjorie off all the committees for threatening to kill her. This is true. Seriously, Marjorie Taylor Greene's first term as a congresswoman was spent touring the country as Donald Trump's opening act because she had nothing else to do. She had been removed from all her committee assignments. But then when the Republicans took back the House in 2022, Kevin McCarthy saw that Marjorie was a force to be reckoned with. So he made a deal with her. He said, support me for speaker and I'll put you on the most high-profile committees like House Oversight, where you can wear your big girl glasses and look like you can read. And that upset members of the Freedom Caucus, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene was a card-carrying member of the Freedom Caucus who thought Marjorie had betrayed them by supporting Kevin McCarthy. They said you've You've betrayed the Freedom Caucus's core conservative principles, which are to grind government to a halt, break things and hurt people. So for the first couple of months of 2023, after McCarthy became speaker, Marjorie thrived. She did really well. And the Freedom Caucus, they were biding their time. They were waiting to get even. And so in the spring... This is all true. Lauren Boebert introduced articles of impeachment to remove Joe Biden from office. And this enraged Marjorie Taylor Greene because Marjorie had already introduced articles of impeachment for Joe Biden. So on the floor of the House, Marjorie Taylor Greene walked up to Lauren Boebert. This is all true and it's been verified by several anonymous Republican sources 
Marjorie Taylor Greene walked up to Lauren Boebert and said, you know, you're a little bitch, unquote. And Lauren Boebert was so upset. She was just sitting there and she was so upset. She stopped giving the guy next to her a hand job and said, you can't talk to me that way. OK, I made that part up. But anyway, she went back to giving the guy sitting next to her a hand job. And Marjorie said, yes, I can. I already, this is what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. She said, I already introduced articles of impeachment and you stole my idea and my language. Instead of signing on to my articles of impeachment, you just lifted my articles of impeachment word for word and introduced them as though they were your own. But they're mine, you little bitch. You're just serving in Congress to get attention, and you've stolen my attempt to get attention. Come up with your own way to get attention, you little bitch. I'm paraphrasing. And then, this is true. I'm not making this up. The argument continued later. This is absolutely true. When they ran into each other in the congressional ladies' room, where the two of them often stand guard, checking for abnormal masculine bulges in the groinal pelvic lady parts vicinity. And they started screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. This is this is true. They really did have a fight in the congressional ladies room and they were calling each other the most horrible names And former part-time speaker Patrick McHenry with the bow tie, who was in the congressional ladies' room changing the batteries on his GoPro camera, he said, ladies, ladies, I beseech you to show a little decorum. Show a little respect. This is the congressional ladies' room. Save this kind of talk for the House Oversight Committee. I think I'm embellishing there. But... Uh, This is what I know, the altercation uh, between uh, the altercation between Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene grew so heated that it got back to the Freedom Caucus. And the the sense was that Marjorie Taylor Greene was being the bully and the caucus wanted Marjorie Taylor Greene to come to a meeting because Lauren Boebert is also a member of the Freedom Caucus and they wanted both of them to air their grievances, but Marjorie ignored them. She wouldn't show up. And so the Freedom Caucus met without her, and they decided they were going to invite her to a meeting and then expel her. The next time she came to a meeting of the Freedom Caucus, they were going to expel her. But Marjorie knew they were going to expel her, so she stopped coming to the meetings. This is true. And that drove the Freedom Caucus crazy. They, they wanted her to come to a meeting so they could kick her out. So like everyone at the caucus would run into Marjorie and say, how come we don't see you at our meetings anymore? And she would say, because you're going to throw me out. And so they had to throw her out, but without having any fun. They just threw her out. So it was humiliating. She got thrown out of the Freedom Caucus and she blames it all on Lauren Boebert. And she's holding a grudge. And so now Marjorie Taylor Greene, and this is the God's, I may have embellished a little, but the God's honest truth is 
Marjorie Taylor Greene will not let go of this grudge. And all day, any conversation includes the phrase, Marge, Lauren Boebert is a whore. This is, this is our Congress. This is where Henry Clay. All right. Uh, so, uh, I think it's against House rules to be on the, the floor of the House and call somebody a bitch to their face or call them a whore behind their back. It's against the House rules. So is this. Uh, this is uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She will often sit next to Ralph Norman, Congressman Ralph no- Norman, and blow a bratwurst belch in his direction and make him guess what her toppings on the hot dog were. I mean, I don't think that's appropriate. A lot of the tension between Marjorie and Lauren Boebert is jealousy. Like, Marjorie hates it that Byron Donalds of Florida is always trying to grab a peek of Lauren Boebert's third nipple, but has no interest in Marjorie Taylor Greene's third nipple. And then there was the time right in front of Marjorie that Matt Gates said to Lauren Boebert, Quote, if you come back to my office, I'll file a motion for you to vacate your seat. And then there was that time during their joint press conference attacking the January 6th committee that Marjorie listened to Lauren Boebert speak for a few minutes and thought to herself, oh, no, this tramp is much dumber than I thought. I really need to up my game or she's going to pass me by. All right. Meanwhile, it's Friday morning, and that means the House starts its much-deserved three-day weekend. I mean, it's not like there's anything important over the immediate horizon other than a government shutdown in seven days. Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, is in hell. A top House Republican told CNN yesterday that between now and And November 17th, when the continuing resolution expires, this is what the anonymous top House Republicans said, quote, Speaker Johnson will have to thread a difficult needle while walking a high wire in gale force winds. And then he added, that's us right now. That's the Republican Party right now. In other words, uh, it's going to get really ugly again between the, among the Republicans, the uh, government can't shut down. It can't. Uh, there are some Republicans who want to shut it down permanently, and they view a temporary shutdown as a victory. But there are political consequences to shutting the government down, which means if there's a shutdown, Republicans won't be reelected and they can't come back in 2025 to shut the government down again. For example, the political consequences of a shutdown are serious. Like in Virginia, for example, uh, if the government shuts down in Virginia, 170,000 workers and more than 130,000 military personnel would be forced to wait for their paychecks until after the shutdown ends. So they do get paid But after the shutdown, but like most Americans, they live paycheck to paycheck and they can't afford to wait for their paycheck. 
And they're, they're going to remember who shut down the government. When Election Day rolls around next year, they're going to remember it was the Republicans who shut the government down. You know, as bad as the polls look for Biden, and I'll get to that in a second, the American people are going to be reminded that Republicans just can't, it's just that they're not good at govern, governing, they can't even keep the effing government open. Troy Nels is the Republican congressman from Texas. He's the genius who thought Donald Trump should be speaker. He said, quote, I don't think the Lord Jesus himself could manage this group. He said that yesterday. And that's a line he stole from some other Republican congressman a month ago when Republicans couldn't elect a speaker. He stole a joke from some other Republican. He just reworked an, a month-old joke. Uh, to me, that's worse than calling Boebert a whore, stealing another congressman's soundbite. I mean, that's just... Now, this joke about even Jesus not being able to manage the Republicans, the premise is wrong. I mean, people love this joke. That's why he stole it. But the premise is wrong. I don't think the Lord Jesus himself could manage this group. First off, Jesus was a dark-skinned Middle Eastern Jew who wasn't born in America. So I'm pretty sure he's not going to be welcomed into the Republican House Congress, okay? Certainly not in a leadership capacity. And where does anybody get the idea that Jesus has any aptitude when it comes to keeping the professional managerial class in line? He couldn't even keep 12 of his underlings in line. Does the name Judas mean anything to you, Troy Now, Congressman Tom Massey of Kentucky, he's a Republican, said of Speaker Mike Johnson's job now, with what's going on on the floor these days, I think that indicates the honeymoon might be shorter than we thought. They're turning on Mike Johnson. Congresswoman Nancy Mace is a Republican from South Carolina, and she was part of the Crazy Eight. Remember them? They were the eight Republicans who voted for Kevin McCarthy to vacate the chair and with all that's going on right now, Kevin McCarthy will not let this go. He's upset he didn't last a year as speaker, and he blames the crazy eight. In an interview with CNN on Thursday, Kevin McCarthy said, he pretty, he pretty much said, I hate this woman, Nancy Mace. We're approaching a shutdown, and Kevin McCarthy can only talk about how much he hates Nancy Mace and Matt Gates." He was asked about Nancy Mace's chances for getting reelected, and McCarthy said, quote, I mean, if you've watched her, just her philosophy and the flip-flopping, yeah, I don't believe she wins re-election. I don't think she'll probably have earned the right to get re-elected. I mean, who says that in public? I don't think Nancy Mace earned the right to get reelected. This is a, this is Republican on Republican violence. I've never seen this before. And because a government shutdown is only days away, Nancy Mace responded later in the day by saying Kevin McCarthy is just a bitter liar. Our country is in good hands. 
sleep well tonight. Then, because there's nothing else to talk about, you know, what, Hamas, Ukraine, the government shutting down, Kevin McCarthy told CNN that the Republicans would benefit tremendously if Matt Gates went back to Florida. And Matt Gates remained above the petty bickering and responded, quote, thoughts and prayers to the former speaker as he works through his grief. That is vicious. That is really mean. Thoughts and prayers to the former speaker as he works through his grief. I mean, just, you know, Matt Gates, he's good. Matt Gates is not, he's not a good person. He's a bad person, but he's good at being bad. Republican Congressman Tom Burchett of Tennessee voted against McCarthy. This was one of my favorite stories. Do you remember this? He joined the Crazy Eight because, and I'm not making this up. I talked about this about a month ago. Uh, McCarthy called him, Kevin McCarthy called him the night before the vote on whether he should vacate the chair. And Kevin McCarthy asked uh, Burchett to vote for him. And Burchett said, I, I'm, I haven't made up my mind. I'm praying on it. He said, I'm praying on it. And Kevin McCarthy, to his credit, said, quote, praying on it. And then to Kevin McCarthy's credit, he burst out laughing and then said some things that Burchett wouldn't repeat. But Burchett said McCarthy said things. He laughed and mocked his faith for saying I haven't decided whether or not I'm voting for you. I'm praying on it. So he won't say what Kevin McCarthy actually said that was so offensive. But I'm guessing McCarthy said, you're asking Jesus whether or not you should vote for me. I'll save you the phone call. I already I already spoke to him. He said, vote for me. I don't know if Kevin McCarthy said that. I just like to believe he said that because I'm a believer. McCarthy trashed Burchett and said he's a glory hound who just loves to talk to reporters. And Burchett responded by saying McCarthy's just bitter and will soon enter into a successful job in lobbying, spoken like a true disciple of Christ. All this petty infighting over nothing. You know, for a party of anti-intellectuals, Republicans sure, sure act like academia. This is like the history department at a community college. The stakes are so low that they're not, I'm not saying anything bad about a community college, but in all academia, because the stakes are so low, the fighting is so intense. What I am being told is that when all is said and done, the most likely outcome in all this is Speaker Mike Johnson will introduce what is called a clean CR, right? A clean continuing resolution, which means it will be identical to the one Kevin McCarthy got passed, the one our government is currently operating under, the same clean continuing resolution that pretty much got Kevin McCarthy fired as speaker. So where are the Democrats in all this? House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says he will only accept a clean continuing resolution. 
He said, only a clean CR, meaning both sides accept the status quo and continue spending based on the 2023 budget until they can iron out a deal on a 2024 budget. So, what if Speaker Johnson delivers a clean continuing resolution, an identical continuing resolution that got Kevin McCarthy canned? Matt Gates, who orchestrated the motion to vacate the chair after Kevin McCarthy agreed to a clean continuing resolution and got it passed, Matt Gates told CNN that if Speaker Johnson pushes a clean resolution through the House, he will not object and give him, quote, a little more grace, unquote. In other words, someone's ethics investigation involving drugs and violating the Mann Act is about to disappear. Speaker Johnson, I suspect, is making that ethics investigation disappear. Congressman Ken Buck is a member of the Freedom Caucus, one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus. But he wouldn't vote for Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan for speaker because they were election deniers. He said, I cannot, I will not vote for anyone who was an election denier. But he voted for Mike Johnson, even though Mike Johnson was literally the legal point man in the House of Representatives for the election deniers. So after he voted for Speaker Johnson, Ken Buck announced he was retiring from Congress. I guess Buck, you know, after he voted for Mike Johnson, uh, I think he probably got sick of all the death threats, you know, must be a pain in the ass working the phones, threatening to kill any member of Congress who won't vote for Mike Johnson. Sure, he got sick of making all those death threats. Anyway, when Buck was asked if Speaker Johnson was in trouble, Buck said, nobody's filing a motion to vacate the chair anytime soon, said the man who has literally vacated his own chair. Right. He's the good guy. Ken Buck votes for Mike Johnson, the bad guy. And then he's walking away from it all. And when halfway decent people leave, they're replaced by other Mike Johnsons. Uh, you know, for a moment, I liked Ken Buck. Right. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, he's with the Freedom Caucus. Leopards don't they don't change their spots. Kevin McCarthy, earlier in the day, echoed Buck's sentiment. McCarthy told CNN, quote, I don't think anybody can make a motion to vacate the chair for the rest of this term. I think Johnson's safe no matter what. Then McCarthy added, who else could they find to replace him with? And then McCarthy batted his eyes, pursed his lips and said, does anyone come to mind? And then he cried, tears. This is the mop-up for November 10th, 2023. Please like this so I remain in your feed. Please share this, subscribe to my channel, and my newsletter. My newsletter is coming out. It's been, we've been putting it out. 
So please subscribe to my newsletter and this channel. So, in 1974, Congress passed a law in order to codify the uh, budget process. Each year, thanks to this law passed in 1974, Congress must now pass a budget by October 1st of every year. In other words, the fiscal year for our federal government starts on October 1st. The law also said the budget must be divided into 12 separate bills. So they took the entire federal government, all the, whatever, all the spending to keep the federal government running, and they divided it into 12 tribes. Well, I'm sorry, that's the book of Exodus. They divided the entire federal government into 12 separate bills. So they put the defense appropriations into one bill. They put the Department of Transportation and the Department of Housing and Urban Development into another bill. They combined the Department of Transportation and the Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development. They combined the funding for those two departments into another bill and so on and so on. And so if Congress passes all 12 bills and the president signs it, then we have a budget. But we don't have a budget. What we have right now is what is called a CR, which stands for Continuing Resolution. It's a temporary funding bill to keep the government running until these knuckleheads in Congress can pass the 12 bills that make up the 2024 budget. This is where it stands this morning. As of this morning, the House has only passed eight of the 12 appropriations bills that comprise the 2024 budget. They need to pass all 12. Then these bills have to go to the Senate and the Senate changes the bills, adds amendments and they vote on the bills and uh if it passes in the Senate, if the, if the bill passes in the Senate and it passes in the House, but it's a little different, these bills then have to go into conference committees where members of the House and the Senate meet to figure out a final bill that resembles what passed in the House and the Senate. And then they file this final version of the bill which the House and the Senate then have to vote on. And assuming it gets passed, it's then given to the president unless he decides to veto it. But let's say he doesn't veto it, but then he signs it, then you have an appropriations bill enacted into law. You do that 11 more times and you have yourself a budget, which is why more and more people are finding peace and simplicity in fascism. But this is complicated. It is the nuts and bolts of a democracy, budgeting. You can, uh, you can tell me what your values are, but I want to see your credit card statement. Show me a person's credit card statement. Show me what you spend money on, and I'll tell you what kind of person this is. Are you spending money on trips to Vegas, on prostitutes, drugs, and pornography? Or are you wasting it on saving for your child's college education?
And the same goes for government. What we spend money on is as accurate a representation you can find of who we are as a people, with the possible exception of the Real Housewives of New Jersey. I'm pretty sure the Real Housewives of New Jersey is the most accurate representation of who we are as a people. But after that, it's our budget. You can find out, just go over our budget and what we choose to spend money on reveals who we are as a people. One of the 12 appropriations bills that make up our budget is the Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Act of 2024. It's one of the four bills that still hasn't passed in the House. And Johnson pulled it on Thursday. Then when he was done pulling his Johnson, Johnson took the Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Act of 2024 off the floor. He pulled, pulled it off the floor. He picked it up off the floor and said he can't vote on it. Uh, there was a disagreement over abortion. That's why he had a pull. Somehow abortion found its way into an appropriations bill and abortion terminated the bill. Uh, Among other agencies, this appropriations bill funds the Treasury Department, the IRS, and because it's not a state, Washington, D.C. city government. Okay, so this bill got pulled over how to manage Washington, D.C. city government because Washington is not a state. They don't have a congressperson or two members of the Senate. Their budgeting is done by these knuckleheads in Congress. And uh, some moderate Republicans objected to language in this bill that overrules a court decision that forbids the government from discriminating against female employees who want their government health care plan to finance the purchase of contraception as well as abortion procedures. It's not worth discussing, but what's going on is they these crazy right-wing pro-lifers sneak things into appropriations bills and say, uh, well, since we're funding of the government of Washington, D.C., we're not going to pay for contraception or abortion. This is what ties up an appropriations bill. The Financial Services and General Government Appropriation Act of 2024 also funds the Justice Department and the FBI. Some Republicans on Thursday said they wouldn't vote for it because this bill provides money for the FBI to build a new headquarters. They don't want a new headquarters. And others are angry that they're going to build the new headquarters in Maryland instead of in Virginia. Like I said, fascism has its charms. Ralph Norman, when he's not smelling... Marjorie Taylor Greene's bratwurst belches is the senator from South Carolina, and he's given up any hope of a budget getting passed between now and November 17th. That's when the continuing resolution runs out. So 
He is a member of the Freedom Caucus, and so is Mike Johnson. So they met privately. And Ralph Norman uh, told the speaker that the Freedom Caucus is all in on this new idea of a laddered continuing resolution, which nobody understands, which is why the Freedom Caucus is pushing it. Basically, and you're going to be hearing about laddered continuing resolutions if you're patriotic enough to pay attention to our budget process. Essentially, a, a laddered continuing resolution would mean taking all 12 appropriations bills and laddering them. So you shut down the government and then reopen it in 12 steps as each appropriations bill clears the House, clears the Senate, and then gets signed into law by the president. Instead of it, instead of it being an omnibus budget bill, they're going to pass open up the, the parts of the government as they're funded. So we could have, under this plan, uh, a Department of Transportation, but no FBI. And this would give the Republicans an opportunity to literally kill agencies they've always wanted to destroy. They, they would do this by refusing to pass any appropriations for the Department of Education or the Environmental Protection Agency. And it, and it would seem uh, less cruel, right? They, they could ladder it. So most of the government gets opened, except for the agencies, the Republicans, and by Republicans, I mean the Heritage Foundation, want to destroy. I mean, this is the big plan. This is Project 2025, to have Trump on day one, when he's reelected and inaugurated on day one, start dismantling the, the administrative state, start firing. I think the plan is within four years, 50 percent of the people who work in the federal government. That's the secret plan. And by laddering the budget, it allows certain parts of the government to open up and it gives Republicans the power to keep certain parts of the government shut down. They just won't pass those specific appropriations bills. Budget Chairman Jody Arrington is a Republican from Texas, and he said yesterday, this is a Republican, he said of the laddering, continuing resolution, not going to happen because he's a Republican and... Uh, He's, he says it's not going to happen. He's the chairman of the budget committee. And it's not going to happen, he said, because it it's too complicated. And it, gets, it means less golf for him, basically. West Virginia Senate Democrat Joe Manchin announced he's not running for re-election. Manchin has more than $12 million in his war chest and has started to hint that he might make a run as a third-party candidate for president. Hey, remember me? I'm the prick who takes more money from the fossil fuel industry than any other member of Congress. I've represented the state of West Virginia for more than a decade, and it's poorer and worse off today than it was when I first got to Washington. And I want to bring my West Virginia can't-do spirit to the rest of America. 
Won't you please help me siphon off votes from Joe Biden and elect Donald Trump for president? This guy, I'll talk about, I've talked about his daughter and why she should be in prison for price fixing. His daughter is a, was a, a, a drug company executive and this, he's bad guy. As bad as Manchin is, and he is Satan, Democrats need him in the Senate to maintain their majority. Well, they need, they need two senators or they lose the majority. And now with his leaving, it's received wisdom that Manchin's seat will be won by the Republican governor of West Virginia, uh, who I think his name is Justice. He's now running for Manchin's seat. He used to be a Democrat and uh, now he's running for Manchin's seat, and he's going to win. So Democrats are going to lose the West Virginia Senate seat. So where can Democrats pick up a seat? Where can we steal a seat? Perhaps Texas. Ted Cruz is the current Republican prick out of Texas. He was reelected in 2008 after he kind of, sort of, narrowly defeated Beto O'Rourke. It was relatively close, considering it's Texas. And Texas is changing. I don't know if you remember, but at one point in 2020, on election night, for a while, it looked like Biden was going to win Texas. He didn't. But Democrats are not writing Texas off. And pay attention to Democratic Congressman Colin Allred, He is running as a Democrat, running for Ted Cruz's seat in Texas. He was raised by a single mom. He graduated from Baylor and then went on to play in the NFL. Then after the NFL, he earned his law degree and became a civil rights attorney. Now he's in Congress. Take a look at Colin Allred. A lot of people think he has what it takes to beat Ted Cruz. You know, Beto O'Rourke, uh, There was an authenticity problem. Beto O'Rourke wasn't the real deal. I mean, I wanted him to win. This guy's the real deal. On the heels of the big abortion ballot initiative victory in Ohio, Democrats are now planning to boost Joe Biden's chances in 2024 by getting similar initiatives, similar abortion initiatives on the ballot in key battleground states in order to animate pro-choice voters to come out and vote next November for abortion and then say, what the hell, I'll also vote, I'll, I'll vote for Joe Biden. This is how George W. Bush got reelected in 2004. Conservatives had had it in 2004 with George W. Bush because the Twin Towers had come down. He got America into two wars that we were losing by 2004. He increased the size of our government by passing the Patriot Act and creating the Department of Homeland Security. And he racked up massive deficits. So he was in trouble with the conservative base. Karl Rove and then... uh, got together with the chairman of the Republican Party at the time, Ken Melman, a closeted homosexual, Ken Melman. He's now out. 
But at the time, Ken Melman was a closeted homosexual. And Karl Rove and Ken Melman came up with a, a plan to get George W. Bush reelected. How do you get conservatives to vote on Election Day since they hate George W.? They said, let's get a raft of initiatives on state ballots banning same-sex marriage. So 2004 was the most homophobic presidential campaign in American history. The plan, and it worked, was let's get conservatives uh, to go to the polls to vote for their hatred for homosexuals. Okay, we get them off the couch, angry at gay marriage, and then while they're in the voting booth, they figure, what the hell, as long as I'm hating homosexuals, I'll vote for Bush. And it worked. And now the Democrats are doing this with abortion. Axios reports that Democrats are pushing to get abortion initiatives on the 2024 ballot in Arizona, Nevada, and Florida, as well as Colorado, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Axios reports that since the Dobbs decision uh, that overturned Roe v. Wade, thank you, Samuel Alito, you prick, Since the Dobbs decision, the pro-choice movement in two election cycles now, the pro-choice movement has won abortion initiatives in California, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, Montana, Vermont, and now Ohio. Interesting. All right. Where are we on time? Oh, okay. There are more key lessons coming in from Tuesday's election. The New York Times reports that before Trump, the Democrats always had trouble winning in the suburbs. But starting in 2016, the Democrats began to win big in the suburbs because suburban voters disapproved of Trump's morality. Right. Hillary won the popular vote in 2016, and she won in the suburbs because They didn't approve of Trump. The Democrats went on a winning streak every two years. They continued since 2016 to win in the suburbs until 2022, until the midterms when Republicans were able to poke holes in Biden's economic agenda by lying about it. But the New York Times reports that on Tuesday, the Democrats won big In the suburbs, the suburbs of Kentucky, the suburbs of Virginia, and the suburbs of Ohio. That's a big story for Democrats to be winning in the suburbs of Kentucky, Virginia, and Ohio. Uh, And why did the Democrats do so well on Tuesday in the suburbs? Well, the New York Times says because... Republicans lose. They lose hard when elections are about abortion, when elections are about the culture wars. Republicans lose. So don't be so disheartened by the these polls that are coming out about Biden. Jim Messina is an interesting guy. He was Barack Obama's campaign manager in 2012. 
And Obama's reelection campaign in 2012 is considered a textbook case in excellence. It was just a perfectly run campaign. And Jim Messina issued a report after Tuesday's elections to reveal what he considers to be his key findings. And if you care about this stuff, they're pretty edifying. Um, so Democrats flipped the Virginia House of Delegates and kept control of the Senate. That's huge. Uh, why? Why did they win? Because, according to Jim Messina, Republicans in Virginia campaigned on tax breaks and tried to convince the voters that Bidenomics is a failure and voters weren't buying it. Republicans in Virginia lost because they went all in on this new 15-week abortion ban that Republicans nationwide are trying to gain traction with. Messina said Virginia voters chose Biden in this in Tuesday's election. They chose Biden and the Democrats over hard right Republicans. And he says, despite the current polling, this all bodes well for Biden in 2024, as well as the down ballot candidates. He talks about the role abortion played in Democrats beating Republicans on Tuesday. You cannot overstate how big a problem abortion is going to be for the Republicans in 2024. They can't ignore the Dobbs decision. They cannot ignore their unholy alliance with the religious right. As I said earlier, this is now the second election cycle since the Dobbs decision, and Republicans are trapped. They're stuck with abortion. They're getting dragged down by the pro-life movement. Messina says in 2022, Republicans pretended the Dobbs decision never happened. The Dobbs decision came down last year. And so for the midterms, Republicans decided it never happened. And that is why the red wave, remember they were expecting this big red tsunami for the midterms? It never materialized. What they, they picked up, Republicans picked up five seats, right? It's a tight majority that they have. In 2023, Tuesday, Republicans thought a national ban on abortion after 15 weeks would seem reasonable, was a winning message. It wasn't. They are stuck. Republicans are stuck with abortion. They lost on abortion in Ohio, where abortion was literally on the ballot. In deep red Kentucky, Voters reelected a Democratic governor. We're talking about Kentucky. Trump beat Biden in Kentucky by 24 points. They reelected a Democratic governor mostly because he objected to Kentucky's abortion ban, a ban that doesn't include exemptions for rape and incest. Virginia. Their governor, Glenn Youngkin, I called him Greg Youngkin two shows ago. I got that wrong. It's Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin. He's a hedge fund prick. He thought he was going to be propelled to national prominence on Tuesday 
and that he could jump into the 2024 presidential race by selling his party's 15-week abortion ban. They thought it was a great compromise. He failed miserably on Tuesday. He lost the House and he didn't take back the Senate in Virginia. Okay. Messina, remember, he ran Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. He's concluded that election deniers lose elections. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why they're election deniers, Jim. If, if they could win elections, they'd say, yeah, the system works fine. Uh, but he points out in Pennsylvania, Democrats won another seat on the state Supreme Court, giving them a five to two majority on the Supreme Court by defeating a Republican who was an election denier. In Kentucky, deep red Kentucky, the Democratic governor, Bashir, sailed to re-election because of abortion, but also because his GOP rival, the state attorney general of all people, refused to distance himself from Donald Trump's lies about the 2020 election. Election deniers, it's not a winning message. At an upbeat note, yes, I, I just took a gulp of water. I, there's one of my listeners hates the sound of me uh, swallowing water. Uh, on an upbeat note for Joe Biden, Jim Messina says that Kentucky races for governor have successfully predicted the last five presidential elections. So goes the race for governor the year before presidential election. So goes the presidency. Whoever gets elected, if a Democrat gets elected governor of Kentucky the year before an election, it means a Democrat's going to get elected president. So things are not as bad for Biden uh, as we all think. And finally, Messina concludes that money wins elections. Well, he's going to conclude that because he's in that business now. He, he gets a piece. They get a percentage. If you're a campaign manager, you get like a piece of the campaign fund. I think they get like 15% the campaign manager. If, if, if a, a presidential candidate spends like a billion dollars on advertising, the campaign manager gets like 15% of it. So obviously Jim Messina concluded that money wins elections. He says the Democrats won big Tuesday night because they raised more money than the Republicans did, and they spent it. In Virginia, Democratic candidates outspent Republicans two to one. Pro-abortion super PACs and PACs outspent their pro-life counterparts nine to one in Virginia. In Ohio, we talked about this Two shows ago, pro-abortion supporters spent nearly double what the pro-life people spent, which is surprising because you would think uh, they would have spent money on this. Kentucky Democrats outspent Republicans three to one. Interesting. Well, let's talk about presidential politics. Dr. Jill Stein announced she will once again seek the Green Party's 2024 nomination for president, calling both Democrats and Republicans a danger to democracy, 
She said Biden betrayed his promise to battle climate change and support working families. I disagree. I think he's doing the best he can when you have Joe Manchin as a Democrat. The New York Times said by gaining the Green Party nomination, Stein will have an easier time getting on the ballot in all 50 states than third party independents like Professor Cornell West and Bobby Kennedy Jr. The New York Times said Stein last ran for president back in 2016. She won 1.4 million votes. And some accuse her of stealing votes from Hillary Clinton in critical swing states. But that assumes people who voted for Jill Stein, if they were left with no other options, if they couldn't vote for Jill Stein, that assumes they would have cast their ballot for Hillary Clinton. People do stay home on Election Day. And you'd be surprised by the number of people who might have voted for Donald Trump if Jill Stein weren't on the ballot. It's a bullshit argument against third-party candidates. Beat them. Beat them. Al Gore had nobody to blame but himself. Stein seems to have adopted a plan originally proposed by friends of this show, Professor Harvey J.K. and Alan Minsky, the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. They've talked about their economic bill of rights. Uh, A lot of candidates, Marion Williamson has picked up on it, and now uh, Jill Stein uh, has adopted their economic bill of rights. They modeled it after the one proposed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt during World War II, but he died before being able to push it through. Stein said her economic bill of rights would guarantee all Americans the right to a job, health care, housing, food, and education. And this was initially proposed by Professor Harvey J.K. and Alan Minsky, executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. Well, Steve Bannon, looking like the spitting image of health, uh, fascist Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon appeared in court Thursday to appeal his contempt of Congress conviction. If you recall, last year, a jury found Steve Bannon guilty of contempt of Congress after he refused to honor a subpoena from the January 6th committee to testify and say what he knew about the insurrection. Bannon was sentenced to four months in prison. He's appealing. Thursday, his lawyers argued that even though Bannon wasn't working in the White House during the lead-up to the January 6th insurrection, his correspondence with Trump and everybody working for Trump is protected by executive privilege. The judge reportedly expressed incredulity when he heard the lawyers argue that. Looks like maybe Steve Bannon's going to do four months in jail. Not enough. Not enough time. Uh, Bannon 
along with Peter Navarro, uh, who was also convicted of the same crime, the two of them invented what is called the Green Bay Sweep uh, to block Joe Biden's certification on January 6th. So we've talked about the Green Bay Sweep, and it's really dangerous. What saved us from the Green Bay Sweep was the insurrection. The Green Bay Sweep is one of the most dangerous things that, that had it, they could have succeeded in stealing the election if the Green Bay Sweep worked. So let me show you how the Green Bay, because we've talked about it. Let me illustrate how it works. Dick Durbin, the Democratic chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Now think about the Green Bay Sweep, okay? He is now looking into the Supreme Court's ethical lapses. He wants to know why Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito accepted free vacations and travel from several high-powered billionaires who had business before the court. I'm talking about the Green Bay Sweep. Senator Durbin is planning, he's a Democrat, he's planning to, and he's chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he's planning to subpoena two friends of Clarence Thomas's, Leonard Leo and billionaire Harlan Crow, who have showered Thomas and his wife Ginny with untold riches that Thomas has failed to disclose. Durbin is determined to haul them before the committee. But... Durbin and the Democrats on his committee were victimized this week by a Green Bay sweep in which Republicans, before the vote, I just need some water, hang on. How long have I been talking? An hour and 10 minutes. All right, I just need some water. And uh, <laughs> I was just going to say something. So disgusting. Just need some water, and now I need, now I need to blank. What could I be thinking? So the Green Bay sweep. Durbin, the Democrats, uh, were victimized by the Green Bay sweep. Republicans on the committee before the vote on whether to issue the subpoenas, they flooded the zone and introduced nonsense motions and amendments to slow down the debate and delay the eventual vote on these subpoenas, which Republicans knew they were going to lose because Democrats control this committee. It's It's the Senate. So they slowed it down and... They never got to vote on whether or not to subpoena Harlan Crow and Leonard Leo because of the Green Bay sweep. They flooded the zone with nonsense and challenges. Durbin congratulated the Republicans for running out the clock and delaying the vote. But he assured them there will be a vote and there will be subpoenas issued. Senator Ted Cruz sits on that committee. And if you remember, Ted Cruz was working with Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar. Together, they were doing the Green Bay sweep 
on January 6th, just as protesters crashed into the Capitol. They were slowing down the count. The idea was to, the Green Bay sweep was slow down the count for three days. That was the idea. And so uh, Ted Cruz was green, uh, uh, green Bay sweeping. Did I say Green Day? Green Bay, Green Bay sweeping. Uh, the Judiciary Committee. And they did slow down. They haven't voted yet. They, he succeeded temporarily. He introduced a motion that said if those subpoenas are introduced, then the committee should also subpoena Hunter Biden's GPS and cell phone data. The fascist Tom Cotton also sits on the Judiciary Committee. He said that ProPublica should be, should be subpoenaed so the committee can discover how ProPublica has been able to report uh, so intimately about the Supreme Court's ethics violations. That's Tom Cotton, the fascist from Arkansas, who wants to subpoena ProPublica and find out how they got their information about Clarence Thomas's ethics lapses. Ethics lapses? I don't know what that is. All right. I'm getting tired. I'm going to wrap it up. The uh, CDC reports that the number of parents opting out of vaccinations for their children is the highest it's ever been in American history. Thanks from a grateful nation to Joe Rogan, Jimmy Dore, and Bobby Kennedy Jr. Thank you. Thank you for that. Robert De Niro was ordered to pay his former assistant $1.2 million in a gender discrimination lawsuit. I don't know if you read what happened. Uh, During testimony, De Niro was accused by the plaintiff's attorneys of screaming at his assistant. His assistant is suing him because he she said he screamed at her. De Niro, during his testimony, denied (laughs) this is true, that he ever screamed at his assistant and then turned to her and screamed at the top of his lungs. Shame on you. Like, like shame on you at the top of his lungs. You scream, shame on you for accusing me of screaming at you. Uh, I love Robert De Niro. And from what I've read, this has been a complicated uh, relationship with the assistant. Uh, But it is kind of funny to deny on the witness stand that you yelled at your assistant while yelling at your assistant for suing you for yelling at her. All right. I'll wrap up with... The latest on the war between Israel and Hamas. Israel has agreed to pause military strikes in northern Gaza four hours a day to allow for humanitarian relief. President Biden says it is taking longer than he expected to get the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to get on board a three-day ceasefire. Um, what else do we have here? American in America, Republicans have continued their call to ban TikTok. Uh, 
They're claiming TikTok is brainwashing young people because it's filled with anti-Israeli propaganda videos. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu assured Joe Biden that he has no intention of occupying Gaza. His plan is to demilitarize it. I remember hearing that term in Vietnam. They were demilitarizing Vietnam for 20 years. And Iran's foreign secretary, Hossein Amarabadalian, warned that Israel's continued bombardment of Gaza can only result in Iran expanding its role in assisting Hamas and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Uh, Thank you for listening. We started late this morning, uh, but thank you for putting up with my nonsense and listening to this show. It's a lot of fun to do this show. Uh, I'm kind of blessed to be able to do this and uh, sift through the news and talk to people and try to present to you what I hope is a coherent analysis of what's happening. Uh, So thank you for listening to this. Please leave a comment and correct me. Uh, I make mistakes. I listen to the show and I make mistakes. I sometimes miss, I always mispronounce words and names, uh, but I do correct myself. And if it's a gross mistake, I will start the show uh, correcting myself. So please leave comments, uh, send me information. If you're a longtime listener, you know your comments inform the trajectory of this show. The best way to help is to share this. That's the only way to help is to copy and paste the link to this episode wherever you're listening to it and send it to your friends via email or in a message or uh, social media, whatever. And uh, subscribe to my newsletter. Subscribe to this channel, please. Uh, Send me uh, unused medications, whatever they are. I'll take them. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. P.O. Box 1430. No. What else? Thank you to the mods. I don't know who's, I, I don't know if Bob is here modding, moderating today because we, it's, so, oh my God, it's so, we started so late today. I'm sorry to keep people waiting. All right. That covers everything. Uh, I like this. Make it a vegan Thanksgiving. This year we're asking nicely. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see everybody tomorrow. Thank you.